0: this is dusty slay you're listening to the we're having a good time podcast uh my social media is at uh instagram at dusty slay twitter at dusty slay youtube dusty slay tiktok at dusty slay my email is dusty slay comedy at gmail.com i read all your emails i appreciate you sending them the emails have been very encouraging um Please keep sending them. I don't respond to them all because sometimes the things that I want to say would take too long to say, and I just run out of time, but please keep sending them. I appreciate all the encouragement. If you want, go on and give this podcast a review. Only give five-star reviews. If you have a critique, uh, send me an email. There's no need for a four, three, two, one-star review. Go ahead. Give the five-star review. I appreciate you, Um, and uh, we're having a good time okay welcome ladies and gentlemen to the we're having a good time podcast my name is dusty slay and i am your host this week i'm home i'm in nashville tennessee Doing my podcast from home, and it feels good. Um, This is the first time I've done it from home in quite some time, but I'm not on the road this weekend. I am... uh, I did the Opry. Last night, I did the Grand Ole Opry, and it was great. I always love doing the Opry. It's so fun. It's fun that... You know, I I think I did it for the first time in 2018 or 19, who knows really, what is time anymore, Um, and it was so exciting, I couldn't believe that I had actually been on the stage of the Opry, stood in the circle, everybody always talks about the circle, the magic circle, I guess that that circle was part of the original Opry, and has been around for a long time and many, many country stars have came across the stage of the Grand Ole Opry and stood in that circle and sang songs and and it is a big deal and I couldn't believe that I was standing there telling jokes. Now I've done it 15 or 16 times. It's still exciting every time but uh, as with anything, Once you do it many times, you don't feel that same buzz that you once did. You know, it still feels good. I still came off last night and I was like, man, that was exciting. But I remember the first time I did it, I practically couldn't sleep that night. And it's amazing. I mean, I saw Mark Wills up there last night. I've seen Mark Wills so many times at the Opry that I feel like we're friends, even though we're not and there was a band last night that I met called The War and Treaty, and they were very good, and the guy, I didn't catch his name, but the guy, it's a guy-girl duo, and uh, he came up and told me that he saw my TED Talk at Zaney's, and that he was a fan, he watched my Netflix special, and so I, I, he was right after me, so I watched him, he was incredible, him and and the girl Tanya, I think was her name. I didn't catch his name though. But they were incredible, uh, really great. And but at the beginning of their set, Mark Wills was standing off to the side, and he gave him a big thumbs up. I don't know if it was their first time at the Opry or not. But I went up to Mark Wills, and I was like, "Hey, you weren't standing over here giving me a thumbs up when I went up." And and uh, it's one of those things where I don't think the joke landed the way I wanted it to land. And then last night as I was getting ready for bed after doing the Opry, I had this thought of, should I have done that joke? And I just think that's so funny. I think that's so funny how, and I don't know if, I'm sure it happens to more people than just me, but I do think it's so funny how we can do things to be funny and then later go, oh man, I don't know if I should have done that. And that was me to the extreme when I was drinking, because I went over to Mark Wills and said, hey, you weren't giving me a thumbs up, but if I were drinking, who knows what I would have said. (laughs) And then the next day I would have been like, oh, and rather than it being some uh, ridiculous thing where there probably is no real reason to worry about it, then there would have been like, oh, no, I probably messed up. If I have Mark Wills number, I should probably try to give him a call and just make sure that we're still friends. Even though we're probably not friends, uh, I saw John Connolly there. I wanted to talk to him, but um, what am I going to say? You know, hey, John Connolly, remember me? I'm the comedian. I talked to you before and uh, haven't seen you in a long time. So, but that was a great time. Uh, the Opry is just an incredible time. Uh, I don't think it was sold out last night, but it seats 4,400 people. So, and I did some jokes that I don't normally do there. I mean, Henry Cho told me once, he was like, and I don't I don't imagine Henry Cho does the exact same jokes every time, but he told me, he's like, a long time ago I figured out my Opry set and that's what I do at the Opry. And that may be the move, but my Opry set uh, that, I, that I had found that really crushes, most of those jokes I did on the Netflix special. So I'm like, I don't really want to keep doing those jokes. I want to... You know, do new stuff at the Opry, and I wanted to do my new closer, but I ran out of time, so I I ended with the stabbing joke, which was a hit. It is a hit. It's the gift that keeps on giving that joke. Um, and I'm also trying to video record this. I've been video recording some of the others, but I don't know if this is actually recording the right way that I want it to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. I'll come back to it. All right, and then I went to, earlier this week, I did a show at Zaney's in Nashville. Here I had sold-out show, sold out on a Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't remember what night of the week it was. It was a Wednesday, I think. Sold-out show, very hot show. I had such a great time. I'm so appreciative of all the people that came and just watched the show. I had a hot lineup Liam Nelson, Bishop, Zaid Devji from Houston. Liam's from Atlanta. Bishop lives here. Brian Bates was on the show. And Tanner Newcomb all on the show. Very funny people. Uh, I love the show. It was awesome. Hot crowd. And uh, I just couldn't be more happy with how it went. Sorry, I got winded. I had to stop the podcast because I got, I don't know, I got several video things going now and I'm not sure if my video thing that I had set up was actually, it looks like when I see it on the screen, uh, it looks like it's recording me, but it doesn't really look like I'm saying the words that I'm saying. So I just wanted to go and make sure that's working okay. And now I'm winded because I ran downstairs and I've been working out. So I don't know what that's all about, but, and then on Tuesday, I did a show at, uh, a, uh, uh, I did a private show at a place called the Back Corner, uh, I don't know, it was a very nice venue. I had seen a band there before, and I was there, and I was emceeing a music event. So it was a uh, a record label, having a bunch of their artists come out and perform for you know Spotify and Google Play and different types of online music things and wow it was rough I thought you know because I've done several music events and I usually fit in pretty well but the the weird thing was the the people there just did not seem interested in comedy at all like and I get it but they were just like they were just there to see the artist and in between when when the they were you know, when one, one musician was breaking down and a new one was setting up, my job was to kind of, you know, entertain and keep the flow going. And I think I did a great job. I don't, I mean, my my part was great. The audience just wasn't doing their part. and But they paid very well, so I'm not upset with them. But it was, you know, it was fun. I got to meet some people. I got to meet some musicians that I didn't know previously. And it's been a fun week. I really had a good time last week in St. Paul, Minnesota at the club that I was at. Wow, why can I not remember any club's name? I don't remember people's names. I don't remember what's happening. There's just so many names all the time. Laugh Camp Comedy Club is what it was called. Really great. I've never been to St. Paul that I know of. I've been to Minneapolis a few times. And I know they call it the Twin Cities. Um... I just got a thing pop up, and I don't know if it's from my phone or from the computer that I'm using right now, but it says my screen time last week was down 63%, and I think that's amazing, and I wonder why that is. Here's one possible reason. I have some land out at McMinnville, and I've talked about it before. I bought a little land out there. I don't know if I actually ever say the town, but that's where it is. I got about nine acres that I bought out there and uh, there's a good portion of it on a hill that's cleared out but it's pretty hilly and then there's a big portion of it that's woods and then there's a creek and down by the creek there's a lot of area that is flat but soft. It's very close to the water. It's a flood zone. I don't know exactly what I want to do with that yet, but I am going to try to move some dirt down there, lift it up a little bit and, you know, make it so that I can use it for something. I don't know exactly what yet, but I got a foundation built for a cabin. I have the Amish Mennonite community that is building me a modular home cabin right now that will be done. Probably by August is what they say. They said it would take eight months to a year. August will be a year. I'm hoping it's a little sooner, but the foundation is finished. So I had a guy uh, come out and clear out some trees. I had a lot of pine trees out there that uh, were in the process of dying. They were giant pine trees, but they were in the process of dying because of um, uh, weevils or something were in there eating the tree. So I wanted to go ahead and get rid of those because I don't want them to fall in the cabin. So I got a lot of land cleared out and I got a lot of underbrush uh, chewed up and cleared out of there too. So a lot of the land that wasn't cleared out now is cleared out now, but I have a bunch of oaks and hickory trees that I left really old, really big trees. It's really nice. And then I went in some of that cleared out area. Me and Hannah went on Tuesday before the show at the record label. And we planted 24 fruit trees. I have apple, have three varieties of apple trees. I think three varieties of plums, a variety of pear, and a variety of peach that we planted out there. I don't know how well they'll do. I don't have any experience planting that stuff. But I've watched a lot of videos on YouTube, and I've read a bit about it, and I feel like I'm equipped to do it. And so I got that, and, and McMinnville is also known as the nursery capital of the world. So a lot of these trees that I'm planting were actually grown in McMinnville, so I'm just moving it from one place to the other. Bare root trees, but we had to dig pretty big holes, and it was a lot of work because I'm planting it on a hillside, so I'm walking up and down the hillside with 40-pound bag bags of lime and carrying a baby. And we're digging around in there and Daisy, our baby's out there eating grass while we're, um, you know, planting trees and eating uh, grass and leaves. And we had to keep her from, you know, doing that. But she probably ate a couple. And then about two or three days later, we went out there and I planted eight blueberry bushes, a few strawberries. The strawberries were actually more work than I thought they would be. They're small, but a lot of work, and I have a ton of them. So, I'm a, probably today, I'm going to plant more in the backyard and just get that going. And I'm going to start setting, getting um, cucumbers and tomatoes and things like that going inside the house today. I'm getting ready for the growing season. I'm getting ready to launch into, you know, trying to grow as much stuff as possible this year to eat because Daisy is now starting to eat, and I'm like, the more fruits and vegetables, I doubt fruit will be ready, not fruit trees, but maybe some fruit vines, as many fruits and vegetables as I can get for her to eat that I grew myself is my goal. I mean, the food out here is complete garbage, okay? It's garbage. I don't know what's happening out here, but you know our our society has bogged us down with work they force us now i'm saying us but i'm not having to do that anymore but i've been there i did it for many years they forced us into these 8 10 hour work days to to you know by the time we get off work we're too tired to cook a meal so we fix something quick or we pick something up from a restaurant and even some of our favorite restaurants that we think oh this is a nice place or This food is good. It's garbage too. It all comes from the Cisco truck. You know, they deliver it and just drop it off. And then at the restaurant we go to, they put it in the microwave or the deep fryer. Now, there's a few good restaurants out there, but not many. And so I'm trying to grow as much stuff as I can. And I'm a big meat eater. I like meat, but who knows where half this meat's coming from and what they're doing to these animals. I like meat, but I don't like animal cruelty, I think there are ways to kill animals that are not cruel. The animals don't suffer. They live a good life and then they die. Um, death is, uh, it's sad, but it's like, it is a part of life. Dying is, it's all part of it. So it's gonna happen. I like meat. I like vegetables. I like fruit. I'm trying to grow as much stuff as I can. And I'm trying to get an orchard going. I'd love, my my thought was, you know, me and Hannah, are hand digging holes we have not hired anyone we had to hire someone to push down trees I'm not I'm not about to kill myself pushing down a tree but we hand dug the holes and we planted the trees with our daughter out there Uh, she sees the foundation she's been on the land before the foundation whether she remembers it or not we got lots of pictures So one day I hope for Daisy to be able to walk through that orchard, eat trees and plums and pears right off the tree. And did I say trees? Eat apples, plums, pears. I don't know if the peaches will grow. We may be a bit north for that. Um, But one day eat those things right off the tree, knowing that her parents uh, sweated to plant those things. And I think it's very exciting. I'm really into it. And that may be why my screen time's down because I've actually been out and you know we have been doing some video. We've been filming it and I hope to make a big video about the whole thing once it's done, maybe even a few videos. But what I don't like doing, and I know some comics do this and that's just fine. You do whatever, people do whatever they wanna do. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. But I don't, when I'm out doing stuff like that, You know, I'm always told, oh, you should be filming that, putting that on the internet. That's good content. But when I'm out doing stuff like that, that is my escape from the fake world of the internet. I mean, I love the internet as much as the next person. I mean, I love watching YouTube videos on how to plant gardens and why our government's corrupt. I mean, that is my favorite pastime. But, um. I like to escape that stuff too. I'm trying to build a nice escape or, or a comics retreat is what I'd like to call it. I mean, eventually what I'd like to do is maybe even put on a show in McMinnville, take some comics out, do a show and then spend the weekend out at the cabin, just hanging out, cooking out, meditating in the, in the, uh, the flat area down by the creek. That's what I'd like to make down there is some sort of sanctuary where people can go and just kind of escape from things and uh and and ground and walk around and our bare feet touching the ground connecting to the earth i've got a video on youtube right now uh, my youtube channel is dusty slay just type in dusty Slay, you'll find it and i did a thing with netflix is a joke radio um or netflix is a joke youtube page where it's called My Favorite Thing, where I did an interview with Tiffany Haddish, um, comedian, actress, very famous, uh, with Clint Ober, who is the founder of the earthing movement, where he's basically, he's got the science behind walking around in the grass with your bare feet and connecting to the earth and grounding yourself. As electrical beings, he's talking about grounding yourself and getting connected with the earth which I think biblically, I often think of Moses standing in front of the burning bush, which I know most people think is insane, but um, I'm into it. I think uh, that an all powerful God that created everything can burn a bush and not make it burn up if he wants to. I don't think that's a big deal. I think of his many accomplishments, uh, a burning bush is uh, probably one of the easier of the things. But as Moses stood in front of this burning bush, God told him to take off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. And I just think when I was younger and I read that, I thought, well, he's telling Moses not to be disrespectful. Take your shoes off. Um, But I think Now, I think God was saying, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Let me connect to you through the earth. And I think God, you know, God can connect to us however he wants, but he's created this earth. So, and he created us out of the dust of the earth, breathe life into our nostrils that he wants to connect with us. And if we walk around in the dirt, in the grass, then then we can connect. I think it's great. I'm into it. I don't know that that is Clint Ober's take, but that's the Dusty Slay take on the Clint Ober movement of earthing. And then also on there, I talked to Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead. I like to watch her videos on YouTube and my wife, Hannah, is a big fan of her podcast. I forget what it's called. Uh, and it would take too long to find it, Um, but uh, too long to find it while I'm currently doing a podcast. I could have done some research before, but to be honest, I didn't know I was going to say this, and she's on it and talking about homesteading. She has a family. She has a husband and kids, and they, you know, they don't, I don't think they get everything from their farm, but a lot of their food comes from their farm, vegetables. They have goats, and no, they have at least sheep and a cow so she makes cheeses and all kinds of stuff and she's a very interesting person because she also has an artistic spin on it all and then i have james prigioni out of new jersey he has what is called a food forest he's turned his backyard into a forest of all food producing plants this guy does some really amazing work he has tomato trees. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable what he does. And uh, I remember when I first started watching people on YouTube growing food, I thought, these people are ridiculous, right? Because some of them have zero personality, zero artistic ability. But James Prigioni is like fired up. I mean, I've said this before, and it may even be on the YouTube video, my favorite thing, but... Uh, Every time I start watching James Prigioni's videos, I'm like, I'm about to crush this. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, that's too hard. But he makes it fun. I mean, he has a little dog out there named Tuck, and he'll feed Tuck vegetables as he's walking through the garden. The dog loves it. It's pretty amazing. I, uh, I'm i just really blown away by this. The, I mean, my grandparents were farmers, and my, my dad still lives on a farm, but you know, my, my parents, I think, you know, they're part of the baby boomer generation. And I feel like so many people from that generation grew up with families that farmed and grew up poor and they wanted to get out of that. They were like, we're about to move to the city of sorts and get ourselves a job and get out of poverty. But my grandfather was born in 1900 and he, um, lived on the same land that my dad lives on today. Now my dad's been able to buy land around him as it's come up for sale over the years, so he's expanded the farm. But my grandfather bought that in 1947, built a house that my dad lives in now out of concrete blocks or cement blocks as I like to call them. And uh you know, carved his initials in the porch in the concrete porch in 1947, the year my dad was born. And he farmed that land. He plowed a field with a horse and a plow or a mule and a plow. He was a really great farmer. My dad told me that he used to graft trees, which is what I just bought in McMinnville, grafted trees where you you cut a limb from a fruit tree and then you take the roots of some other kind of young plant of equal size and you cut it at an angle and then you put those two angles together tape it up and they grow together and I think that it's amazing and that's what I want to get into I'm going to do more and more of that stuff I mean there's a pear tree on my pear tree and a fig tree on my dad's land that's been there probably since the 50s that my grandfather planted and it's they still produce it's pretty amazing um and my, you know, my grandparents on my mom's side, they were also farm. They would they were also farmers. I mean, that's how they got a lot of their food. I mean, my grandparents, as many as I'm sure many people that are listening as grandparents grew up during the Depression. And my grandparents were very poor. I mean, my dad, my granddad would plow a field with a mule and a donkey or, and then he would come home, take a bath and then go to work in a cotton mill where he worked all day, he died at 66, my dad, my dad was uh, one of the, uh, he's the youngest of the family, and I, I guess his parents were pretty outspoken about him being an accident, like, they were like, you know, my aunt, my aunt cat, who made, I don't know if, I, I don't, I guess I have not talked about this, my aunt that made the cookies, um, that I talked about being so delicious, she passed away, uh, not too long ago, earlier in 2021. And she was a, um, well, she made the cookies that I talked about, but she passed away and she was 93 and my dad is 73. So that tells you the, you know, big difference in the ages. Um, I've just, I have forgot entirely what I'm talking about now, but, um, But anyway. Oh, yeah. So they were all sitting at the table. My granddad, my grandmother and my dad in 1966. My granddad got up from the table, went to the bathroom, had a heart attack on the toilet, uh, passed out in. Well, he had a heart attack. He fell out in, in the bedroom. My dad called the ambulance. The ambulance came. He died in the ambulance ride, sudden death, very sad story. My dad told me the story one day because he still lives in the house where that all took place in. So he showed me how it all happened. And it's just like, wow. I mean, it's like, it just shows. I mean, it's back to what I was talking about a little bit last week. It's like being sure where you're going when the lights go out because you never know when the lights are going to go out. I mean, when I was a kid, my other grandfather, my mom's dad died at 65. My sister tells me that when she was a kid and he died at 65, she just thought, hey, well, he's old. That's what old people do. Old people die, right? And it was his time to go. But 65 and 66 are not old. I mean, it's not young, but it's not old. I mean, I think of 80 as old. My aunt died at 93. It's like, that's old. My aunt was ready to go. My aunt was a Christian. Every time you go to her house, she had the Bible out. She might not be reading it when you walk in, but she had been reading it at some point that day and probably would be reading it again not that reading the Bible gets you to heaven, but it is a, at least a sign that you're connected. You're, you're trying, you're learning. And, you know, so my grandfather sitting there, probably eating some fried chicken, enjoying his life, hanging out with his 19 year old son and his wife suddenly dies. And it's like, there was no planning for that. At least he had a little time in between the heart attack and death to maybe say a little prayer. But we might not, might not all get that. So just something to be aware of. I've gone off on a real tangent with that. That all to say that I'm very excited that I planted some fruit trees and uh, it's looking really great. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to go to Dallas, Texas. I'm about to go, I don't know how many... I don't know what to do about this. I think I should just delete it from my website. But I have a social media team and they asked for my schedule from my agency and my agency sent them the schedule. But they just sent them the schedule of all my gigs. And a lot of my gigs uh, that I do are private gigs that the public is not allowed to come to because someone or some company has hired me to come do shows for them. And the general public is just not allowed to come. But they put, I've been hired by a company and I'll be there this Tuesday in Scottsdale, Arizona to do a show and I've been hired by them, but that got put on my website and it also got put on a poster and there seems to be quite a few RSVPs to it <laughs> and I don't know what to do because I don't think people are allowed to come. We'll see how that all transpires. I don't know what's happening. Maybe people will come and it'll just be a real party, but... um that's what's happening there um this weekend I will be in Friday Saturday Sunday I'll be in Dallas Texas at the Addison Improv it's actually Addison Texas but it's called the Dallas Improv I think I don't know I guess it is called the Addison Improv February 25th through the 27th that's going to be really fun My friend, uh, Cat Alvarado from LA will be featuring for me, and my friend Ralph Barbosa, who lives in Dallas, will be hosting for me. Now, Ralph has featured for me in the past, and he he is uh, very funny, and I think he is beyond hosting. But he was kind enough, he asked about featuring, and I said, Well, I already have a feature, and he was kind enough to still host. Uh, And I'm excited because he's very funny. It's going to be a great weekend. Very fun. Um, And now what I'd like to talk about is I don't know how organized this is, so I'm just going to do my best. I took a bunch of notes. I don't know if I've ever really dove into this. I'm always just trying to come up with something to talk about, something to share about my life that I haven't overshared already. I did a podcast on the Sergeant Jasper a while back. And that's where I lived, big building in Charleston, South Carolina from uh, 2003 to 2004. I lived there for about nine months. And then I moved out of there and I moved to Folly Beach, South Carolina. That's just outside of Charleston, but it is its own town. They have their own mayor. They have their own uh, town name. My driver's license said Folly Beach, South Carolina, And I lived there for just one year, but it was a very exciting year. Probably the year that I really stepped up my alcoholism. Um, But I just would like to talk about it. I lived on a street called East Hudson Avenue, if I'm remembering it correctly. There's some things that'll be fuzzy. I mean, we're talking almost... 20 years ago which is pretty mind-blowing to me I was 22 years old and I you know I had moved to Charleston in 2003 again it could have been 2005 to 2006 I have some video if this all pans out the way I want it to what I'd like to do is make a video and include some clips from my time in this house but I think it was 201 East Hudson Avenue. After I moved out, they put a privacy fence around the whole property. So you can't even drive by and see it, but it was a greenhouse. We had a cobblestone, a small cobblestone driveway, just enough for me and my friend, Joey. My, this is my friend, Joey Tomlinson, that I moved to Charleston, South Carolina with. We moved to Charleston, South Carolina. We had a, his girlfriend, now wife, um moved in with us in Charleston that was not part of the deal and I was very mad at them for many years and we split after about two months we moved to Charleston together and we split after about two months I moved into my own place and Joey and Michelle broke up she moved home and Joey got his own place and then I moved to the Sergeant Jasper shortly after and then once both of our leases were up, we decided, hey, let's move back in together and let's move to Folly Beach. So Joey found this house, was 1100 a month, would have been, is 550 a piece. At the time, that would have been the most amount of rent I had ever paid. And we were like, let's do it. So we moved to Folly Beach, 201 East Hudson Avenue. It was at 2 cobblestone driveway enough for just two cars it was a green house with a screened-in porch all the way across the front and inside the screened-in porch was two french doors there was one french door entered into one bedroom one french door entered into another bedroom and that was joey and i's bedrooms and one bedroom had was was almost like a studio apartment in, in the sense that the bathroom was right in the room that was my room I had the room with a I had a, a nice tub I didn't appreciate it I was far too drunk to really appreciate it but it had a bit of a divider had a curtain dividing it but I had a toilet in the bedroom with no wall around it just a curtain and then my I had a cast iron tub uh, shower in there and a sink And so what I did was I kind of arranged my furniture to where it was blocked off a little bit, but, uh, on the very rare occasion that I had a, a, a girl over, it was embarrassing for her to use the bathroom. And then Joey's bedroom just had access to our main bathroom in the house. So, um, so when girls would come over on that rare occasion, again, I was highly intoxicated for the majority of the time that I lived, uh, on Folly Beach, um, she would use that uh, bathroom because, you know, who wants to just pee right out in the open? It doesn't bother me. I pee outside even now, and I live in a, a residential neighborhood where that is probably definitely not allowed, but pff, I gotta go. Sometimes I'll be out watering the grass and I'll pee at the same time. I just turn my back to people, hoping that the two streams meet up and people won't notice. So, um, and then in between those French doors on the screened in porch, there was a giant wooden fish painted. It was a flat, it was a flat painting. It wasn't a physical fish, but it was a flat giant fish and it was really great. I do have some video and if I am able to make this video, I'd like to share it because it was really cool and we had a grill on the front porch on that screened in porch and then on, on the outside, there was an outside shower, so when you came home from the beach, you could just wash right off out there, and uh, it was just really great, and let's see, uh, so basically during that time, I was working at Spectracide selling pesticides, and I was working at Hyman simultaneously, so I would do about four days a week working with Spectracide, but I was only doing 20 hours a week. So each day we would work for about five hours. And then on Mondays, I did both Spectracide and uh, Hyman's. So, you know, Monday I would go to work, probably Sunday. Sunday was always Sunday fun day. We would go to 8th Avenue or 8th Street and we would get really wasted and we would eat, we would drink, and then people would come back to my house and we would grill out and we would have a party. And then I would wake up on very few hours of sleep and hung over, not enough time to really take a shower because Stu, my boss, was very intolerant of me being late. So I would wake up. I would run out to the BP. Once you got on Folly, if you go there to this day, I think this still sits there, but it's, you go and on the left is the one gas station on the island and it's the BP. You turn left right after that to East Hudson Street and then I was 201. I was the second block, first house on the corner. Uh, That was me. So I would get up and I would drive to that BP and at the time there was a man that worked there early in the morning that always whistled he kind of whistled when he talked it was a really weird way to explain but he's like good morning and it was so weird he almost whistled to speak and I would go in there and I can still remember getting like they had a coffee machine and I would get like some kind of you know french roast cappuccino type thing I didn't know what I was doing I was 22 I didn't know anything about coffee I just knew that I was very tired and people said coffee woke them up. So then I would drive to work, sand in my crotch, sand all over my body, uh, and then I would work and sweat all day with my thighs rubbing together as I walked and sand grinding my thighs, and then I would come home and drive all the way out to Folly Beach, take a shower, put on my Hyman's clothes, drive all the way back downtown. And and work until probably ten o'clock, and then I would get off work at ten, and then I would go out and drink with people downtown. Probably smoke some weed, and and uh, and then drink, and then drive all the way back out to Folly Beach, uh, drunk and then go to sleep. And then Tuesday was our earliest day at Spectracide. Many days, I got three, four hours of sleep of drunk sleep. And then I drove and I met Stu and we would drive to Orangeburg, South Carolina, where every week I would fall asleep in the car and snore and Stu would elbow me to wake up. Uh, We did that many, many times. But Folly Beach Um, I used to, I used to, on the days that I didn't have to go to Hyman's, which was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I would work Friday and Saturday at Hyman's. Um, and then Sunday was my one day off. So I was working two jobs, six days a week, uh, hustling it during the summer. Now in the winter, I only did Hyman's. Um, and it was, it was a blast. I mean, I would get off work and... Sometimes I would just walk down to the beach. Sometimes I would be sober and I would just walk down there and there was this pier because I lived two or three blocks from the beach, one block from Center Street, the main area of Folly Beach where all the bars were. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of bars. But I would walk one block down, and there was this um, gas station with no gas. I know I said there's one gas station there, but this was a convenience store. It reminded me of like a store that you would see on Clerks, the movie. Just some locally run. They had 99-cent chili dogs. I ate many. I was still eating pork back then, and I ate many chili dogs from the Burt's Market and I could walk down and just past Burt's was a public beach entrance. And funny enough, when I was looking to move somewhere, me and Joey went to Savannah, Georgia. That's where we wanted to move. Uh, we thought Savannah was very cool. I like Savannah College of Art and Design. I thought that might be a move for me it, while I was still considering college. I I was always very artsy and I wanted to get myself into something like that. You know, I grew up Uh, you know, a trailer park kid, and my dad living on a farm, and I always just felt like I was a little too artsy for the world around me. Not better, not worse, but just too artsy for what was going on. Oftentimes, I felt like the weird kid, and probably was, but I, um, so When we were visiting Savannah one time, Joey was like, hey, my parents are living up in Charleston. Why don't we go visit them? So it was just a two hour drive north. So we came on up and Joey's dad was driving us all around and he took us out to Folly Beach and we went to this public beach area and they had these uh, uh, cement columns that went out into the water. It wasn't a pier. Uh, I think it was something designed to help keep the uh, beach from eroding So it was this seam, but you could walk out on it. It was about two foot wide, just wide enough to walk out on. And depending on how much the beach had eroded away, it would, you know, or how high the tide was, water would come up around you on the cement column, but you would be above it. And I remember, remember my very first trip to Charleston, walking out on that column out into the ocean and just, just, just thinking, man, this is so cool. I want to, I want to live here. Savannah seems great, but I want to live here. And so many times throughout my 11 years that I spent in Charleston, I would go out to that place just to kind of take that in. I went out there, when I lived out there, I would go out on that that thing and just lay down on the column and just roast in the sun. I I go to the tannin bed now. I'll lay out in the backyard. I love the sun. I love to Take my shirt off and lay in the sun. It's one of my favorite things. It feels so good. I mean, I love it. And I used to go out there all the time. At that time, my head was so sunburned that I had scabs on my forehead from where I had been sunburned over sunburn over sunburn. I had to start wearing a bandana on the beach one, because I thought it was cool, and two, to cover up my forehead to not get burned more. I've never been into sunscreen. I don't care about it. I. I think sunscreen's poison I'll be honest with you people think I'm crazy but I think it's poison I don't do it I don't want to rub things into my skin the sun has been around since the creation of mankind and sunscreen's just been around a while and I'm not into it um, so I, and even right before I left Charleston I went out on that cement column and I took a picture uh, of me standing on it just to remember it it hangs on my fridge Um, and the beach eroded away a couple of times and they would pump sand into it and, you know, build it back up. Happened, uh, I think two times while I lived there. So, and it was just, uh, I remember there were no mailboxes on Folly Beach. They had a post office. So everybody that lived out there got their own post office box. So you'd have to go check your mail that way. Um, the uh these were the restaurants that I used to go to I think some of them are still there there was uh Snapper Jack's uh, Chill and Grill the Lost Dog Cafe the Lost Dog Cafe I'm going to get into Snapper Jack's and Chill and Grill in a second but the Lost Dog Cafe was a it used to be on Center Street now they've moved to a different location but it was a really good breakfast spot. I mean, I feel like these bref- breakfast spots are all over the world now, all over the country, a hipster breakfast spot. But at the time, I wasn't aware of this kind of brec- breakfast spot. I mean, I was aware of IHOP and and Waffle House and Huddle House, but this felt like a new kind of thing. And I really, I used to go there by myself all the time. I just felt like it was so cool. I just loved to be in there uh all the cool like hippie people people with dreadlocks and and it it was just and surfers and i was like oh this is cool i just felt felt so happy to be around that oh there was a pizza place i'm just remembering now that i like to go to as well but i forgot the name There was a place called Dolphin Deli. I used to like to go there and get sandwiches. And they also had a tuna macaroni that was the best in the world that I still have never found a good tuna macaroni like that. It was just in a little plastic cup. I don't know where they got it from. I've had many tuna macaronis in my life. Never like the Dolphin Deli on Fowley Beach. There was the Sand Dollar, which was a private club. You had to be a member to get in there, but the membership only cost a dollar and I used to go there sometimes. Um, I met an older lady there at the uh, at the Say a dollar one time. I had some wild times out there, and um, the um, and then all right. So Snapper Jacks was where my friend David Kane used to work. Uh, and I don't know why I'm always using everybody's first and last name. I hope that's okay. David was great. I really liked him. I guess we're still friends on Facebook, but I haven't seen him in many years. But he used to bartend at Hyman's when I started. And then he moved out to Snapper Jack's where he worked. And he bartended upstairs. And at the time, they had one draft beer. They had yingling on draft. And David would tell me, he was like, as long as you drink yingling, you're all good. And I would sit in there and drink many, many yinglings. And I would get my tab and I would be charged for one, maybe two yinglings. It was amazing. I mean, he used to hook me up all the time. I walked home so drunk from snapper Jack, so many times um, that I used to drink alone a lot uh, but alone in the sense that I went to the bar by myself but you know the bartender was my friend or there were other people in the bar that I would know and I used to um, I walked I walked home so drunk from there one time I got to my I always carry a lot of stuff in my pockets less these days, but I used to carry a lot of stuff in my pockets. Uh, this was before the smartphone. So I needed a pad to write jokes in and this and that. And I remember getting back, I had an ottoman in my room and I went, I put both hands in my pockets to my front pockets to empty them. And then I fell on my knees and, and face planted into the ottoman And my hands were stuck inside my pockets because I had so much stuff in there and I could not get up. I was just waddling there on the floor trying to get off uh, from the ottoman. And I mean, it's embarrassing stuff, but I was 22, so it was okay. I remember when I lived out there, me and my friend Mike, that's when me and my friend Mike really started to hang out. And Mike was my friend for many years. We're still in contact, but... We were friends for many years, and we made we bought uh, hamburger meat at Bert's Market one time, and we took it out to the beach, and we patted it up on the beach, and we had a little grill that we uh, we hid behind some rocks, and we fired up a charcoal grill out there on the beach, and Mike uh, whipped up those patties, and we, we didn't have any. We 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 really didn't plan ahead most times. We were very impulse buyers. We had money because we waited tables, you know. But we were just impulse buyers, so we had we didn't have a spatula. We didn't have anything to flip the burgers with. So Mike tore a paper plate in half and was using that as the spatula and was flipping it. And uh, and he looked like a caveman out there. And and then when when you would eat the burgers you couldn't close your mouth all the way because there was so much sand in the patty that if you closed your teeth all the way you felt the grit so you would have to almost like old man chew it you'd have to like gum it and uh, it was just such a blast I mean I would go I had a friend uh, a, a friend she was a girl not my girlfriend named Bobby and she would come out she started she ended up Uh, dating Joey for a little while, but she would come out and uh, we would go down to the beach. And I remember one particular day, we both bought an 18 pack and we just went to the beach. And I think we crushed each crushed an 18 pack. And we came back to the house and another guy came over and we got a lot and Joey was out there and we got a lot of video. And that's a lot of video of me just being so wasted. I mean, it's embarrassing, but I think it's hilarious. I'm glad it's on video. Uh, I have the copies. It's so funny. And we were grilling out. I remember grilling out. We were grilling out some hot dogs and the hot dogs were rolling off the grill and falling on the porch. And this was just a basically um, stepping stones, Uh, a little bit of wood and mainly dirt and we were just picking up the hot dogs putting them back on the grill eating them not throwing them out we had some great parties we had you know we cooked a tenderloin we had some seafood boils I mean I had tons of friends when I lived on the beach I mean I had tons of friends the whole time I was in Charleston because it just was such a party but we had a bunch of friends that used to come over all the time we were always partying it was such a good time. Um, I got a video of my dad playing guitar uh, in the living room of the apartment probably some video of me and Joey playing guitar in there Joey playing guitar me probably yelling along some lyrics to a song I have memorized Uh, we had took an acting class out on Folly Beach with a with a guy named Nick Smith who I am still in contact with Uh, I don't think I finished the acting class. Anything that I started during that period of time was so hard to complete because I would be like, yeah, I'll take eight acting classes. And then I'm drunk every day. So I'm like, well, I can't go today. And but that was a lot of fun. I remember practicing and learning a monologue from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, a Jack Nicholson monologue. And a guy in that class told me I had a very Al Pacino like voice, and I really wanted to get into some serious serious character actor acting. I remember at the time I really was enjoying Steve Buscemi movies. Like I lo- I still love Steve Buscemi, but his his characters are so great. I love that he would just show up in in bit parts in movies. I had a monologue memorized of him from I think not from. Dust Till Dawn. It was um, an Antonio Banderas movie. I think the, Johnny Depp was in it, too. I forget what it was called, but it was the old Once Upon a Time in Mexico, maybe. And I really love Steve Buscemi, and I really got into that acting kind of weirdness. I had a MySpace page during that time. I had the internet. I had a computer, but there were no smartphones. Had a MySpace page where I was meeting people from other parts of the world that I thought was so amazing. I just was like, "Wow, this! I'm really communicating with people." It was a lot of fun. Um, I put on there was a there was a um, uh, a restaurant that is gone now called Barrier Island. It was just across the river. It was technically on James Island, I think, but it was almost to Folly Beach. And I put on a comedy show there one time. My friend. Greg, uh, I can't think of his last name right now. Doesn't matter, but he bartended out there. And so I put together a comedy show in probably 2004, 2005, one of my first ones. And I remember the lineup I had, there might've been one more person that I'm, I'm forgetting, but I had Greg Big Daddy Patterson. He was hot on the comedy scene back then. Um, And uh, I thought Greg was, you know, what a professional comic was. And I'm not slamming Greg because Greg was good. Greg, I mean, at least for that time, I really thought, wow, Greg is really funny. And he really was good at crowd work. He was a, you know, pretty overweight black guy and... You know, most of my Hyman's friends that came, for the most part, were all white people. And it's like he would come out. He I remember him coming out to this rickety barrier island and really ripping the place apart and, you know, talking about uh, just being the only black dude in the room. And, and, and they loved it. I mean, Greg crushed, and it was so fun. And then Paul Nunes uh, was a guy that I met doing a comedy contest for local tv tony kemp was one of the hosts. who tony kemp famously ran several comedy zones in the area for a long time and he brought a lot of road comics into charleston i never took full advantage of the tony kemp rooms um mainly because i was downtown doing the hipster rooms and whenever i would do tony kemp's room i would bomb so but Paul Nunez won the competition. He got first place in the competition and I got third and I was wearing overalls back then. And it was a lot of fun. And then my friend, John Ballard, uh, who I'm still friends with, John Ballard helped me write a lot of jokes back in the day. And, um, uh, it was such a fun, um, Such a fun comedy show. It felt really good. And then shortly after that, I quit comedy and wouldn't start again until 2008. Um, I remember one time late at night, I was coming from downtown and I stopped at that BP. I'm a block away from home, but I stopped in that BP to pick up a few things, some snacks, some drinks, and I'm just, you know, I'm just talking to the cashier, but I'm so drunk, I'm just yelling across the, across the, thing. And then as I come down one aisle, I turn and I see that there's a cop in the gas station. And I'm like, oh gosh. So, so I got to lock it up and I buy what I need to buy. And then I go outside and I get in the car and the cop comes out and he goes, hey, you can't drive. And I go, I know the key's not in the ignition. And uh, he's like, where do you live? And I was like, just a block this way. And this nice cop in 2004, 2005 helped me push my car into a parking lot into a parking spot of the gas station and then drove me home and then I just walked back the next day and got the car very nice well we had many nights where we would drink me and Mike and other people we would drink you know till the bars closed and then we'd go to somebody's house downtown and drink and then we would drive back to my place on folly And we would go to the beach, you know, and drink till the sun came up. I mean, you were allowed to drink on the beach back then. And uh, it was so fun. And we had this girl um, one time and and we were all hanging out and we went to the beach and me and Mike were, you know, we were both trying to hook up and it wasn't going to happen, but we were trying. And, um, we all went swimming in the ocean, at sun up in, in drunk. And then we got in the outside shower and I mean, we, me and Mike were both just lunatics. Right. And then, um, this girl, uh, I don't want to be mean, but was, um, you know, was, um, not attractive. Okay. That's, um, but we were all drunk and, but she was still not interested in us. So that, that tells you where we were at, right? I'm calling someone unattractive, and I think everything about me was probably unattractive at the time. Um, but we all pass out in uh, the living room. There was other people there. We all pass out, and then Joey comes home. He had been working the third shift, and he comes in the living room. and wakes me up. I'm sleeping on Mike. I guess I've basically passed out on Mike. And so he wakes me up. And then he goes, "Who is this girl in my bed?" And the girl uh had gone to sleep in Joey's bed. Like I guess she was the only one smart enough to go, "You know what? I think I'm going to take a bed." And but she would not wake up. So Joey's been working third shift at his job at the hospital and he comes home, poor Joey, during the time he lived with me, what a nightmare. He had a blast. I know most of the time, but he had a real job and it was hard for him. And he, uh, so we had such a time waking this girl up. I mean, we pulled all the sheets off and we weren't even trying to be mean. I was just like, I need to get her up because this is really embarrassing that, that this has happened to Joey. And, um, wow. What a wild time. Uh, We were all, we were like the nicest, worst people. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we all wanted to hook up, but we never were doing anything dirty. We were just, me and Mike were like the nicest people that were also trying to fight people. Like Mike was always trying to physically fight. I was just always trying to argue, but uh, I don't know, just was such a blast. I mean, that's really all my notes that I wrote. I don't know if this was a good story or not. Uh, The end, basically the story ends um, with Joey and Michelle getting back together and Joey ended up moving back home about a month before our lease was up and Mike and my friend Will basically moved in with me and um, Joey is now married to Michelle And they have two kids, and they've been married for quite a long time. So it's a very happy story. And then I moved to James Island in a uh, three-bedroom apartment with Mike and Will. And, uh, you know, our partying continued. Um, But, uh, you know, Joey ended up traveling the country, working in a hospital, and, you know, all is well, happy endings. And I don't know if that – if this podcast made a lot of sense or not. But I'm just trying to tell some stories. I mean, you know, it's like I am where I am because of the things that I've done and the decisions that I've made. But uh, we had a lot of fun on Folly Beach. And I look back on so many things and I think, how much more fun would it have been Because controlling my drinking was never going to be a thing that happened. I could not control it, and that was the problem. Once I get a couple of beers in my system, I am ready to party. And I got to tell you, I'm having a blast. The problem with me and Mike being friends is that me and Mike could not embarrass each other. There was nothing that we could do to embarrass the other. When I would go out drinking with Joey, we would usually end up in some kind of fight because joey would you know tell me to chill out and i would chill out and i would be cool but but on the nights that i couldn't be cool joey would we would really fight joey left me in a waffle house one time um i drove to the waffle i drove to a place called the plex in north charleston and um which was a, it used to be a movie theater, and it had been converted into a bar where several of the theaters were different themed bars. Like they had kind of a rap bar and a country bar and a rock bar. I remember seeing uh, Slightly Stupid and G-Love at a bar. And I was dancing with some girls that I think Joey deemed unattractive and it was embarrassing him and he was like, let's get out of here. So we left and we went to the Waffle House and I was wasted and we got into an argument and I'm yelling at Joey in there and he's like, I'm leaving. And Joey called a cab. This was long before the days of Uber. Joey called a cab. They picked him up and left him. And then the Waffle House waitress came over and told me, she was like, you have to leave. And I was like, oh, well, give me my food to go. And they brought me some to-go boxes. And then in my condition, I was so drunk that I got kicked out. My friend left me at the Waffle House and I got kicked out. But they just let me drive home. (laughs) And I drove home eating Waffle House out of a to-go box. Um, Who knows what night of the week it was. I think I missed my shift at the office depot the next day and uh they got really mad at me i was just named employee of the month and then i and then i called out drunk but you know we are who we are because of the decisions we make but i just think how um but me and mike couldn't embarrass each other mike would not have left me in the waffle house we both would have been kicked out we might have gotten to a fight in the parking lot but he would not have left i have a savannah story i'd like to tell another time um about me and Mike going down to Savannah getting drunk that was a pretty wild one I've been in contact with Mike a little bit I'd love to get him on the podcast but he's not really into this sort of thing Uh, but I'd love to get him on and just talk about some of this stuff that'd be a lot of fun Um, but I uh, have really enjoyed uh, this podcast today it's been a lot of fun Um, but you know we are who we are because of the decisions that we made but I, I think that we can learn from them right um, I don't think that God led me to drinking the way that I did, but I do think he let me experience this, right? Like he didn't bring it on me, but he let me live the experience. And I think when you when you look at people in the Bible and you look at stories of the heroes of the Bible per se, now I say hero, but no one was a hero. They all were killed or died and they're only heroes when they get to heaven uh but you know god used people who were a mess right now people say noah was an alcoholic and i don't know if that's true noah you know built an ark and saved uh, you know humanity uh to to replenish the earth but and then it says he got drunk he built a vineyard and got drunk i don't know if it makes you an alcoholic to get drunk one time um but you know moses you know straight up murdered a dude and then had to run and hide in the desert for 40 years um you know paul the the guy that has the most things written about in the new testament he wrote the most books of the new testament The guy that is the most misinterpreted, in my opinion, not just my opinion, but uh, it is popular to believe that Paul has told us that we don't have to follow any laws of the Old Testament, which I just think is uh, ludicrous. Um, It's just insane. Uh, And I always hear people go, listen, the laws don't save you. You're not saved by the law. And yes, you're absolutely right. You're not saved by the law. But if you're not following the law, my question is is why? Why would you not want to do the things that God has asked you to do? It just doesn't make sense. And they go, oh, well, who can follow all the laws? No one's perfect. And no one's saying anything about perfection. It is basically, you know, if you are homeless— And then someone who has a home saves you and says, hey, I'm going to take you from your homeless, wretched, dirty state, and I'm going to bring you into my home. You are now saved. I've saved you from homelessness. You're already saved. But now that you're saved, and now that you're living under my roof, now that you're calling yourself part of my family, this is how I would like you to live. I'd like you to live according to my rules and according to my laws, because you were once homeless. Now you're living here, and I'm going to show you how to live a better life. You can call them laws or you can call them guidelines, but I'm showing you how to live a better life and how to keep yourself from ending back up in that homeless, wretched state. And that's just an analogy. I'm not picking on homeless people. People are so sensitive about homeless people. I think the cure to your sensitivity about homeless people is to give something to homeless people. The more you give to homeless people, uh, you you will still be sympathetic to them, but you will be less sensitive about it. I think a lot of times people's sensitivity is because they know they're not doing anything to help. So don't be so sensitive and do a little something to help. But yes, yeah, so Paul, who I went off on a tangent. Sorry, but Paul who was a Pharisees, would go around and he was very upset with Jesus and his followers and he would stone them and kill them. And then God used that man, that man that was a murderer, he redeemed him and used him. So whatever state you're in right now, God can use you. And no matter what we've been through, you just have to reject it, turn from it, and be new and fresh, but it will not happen overnight. Don't think that you have to change immediately. You change some things immediately, but some things will take time. Don't beat yourself up. Don't worry about it. We're having a good time out here. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for being here, and we're having a good time.